uh, again, I, as I said in the earlier service, the, 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 the things we're teaching today and, and looking into God's Word for, are, are these are not new things. These are things we know. And so I'm, I'm going to give you some, some other things from, from this passage specifically. We won't do a lot of turning in the Bible uh, for this, this message, but uh, mostly from the passage itself. Uh, just some things, hopefully, that will be practical to help us in doing some of this. So let's look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. We're going to read a rather lengthy portion of this, and then we'll, we'll stop for prayer and get into the message. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Alistra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Father, we pray that you'll bless uh, the remainder of this day as we take a few moments to... uh, take the principles of the 11 o'clock hour and to bring about application in practical ways to help us to have better discernment, understanding, and then to father that we could better battle and fight off the things that so easily seem to vie for our attention, that cause us to go down the road of compromise, that cause us to follow after the world. May these things be practical anchors that we can uh, uh, wrap our, our hearts and our lives around so that we are unmovable and that we will hold strong in these areas. Bless the time that we spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number 13, I think it seems to wrap up in, in just really a verse what we were really talking about in the 11 o'clock hour when it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And I want you to notice this phrase, deceiving and being deceived. Not only are they deceived in their own minds, but their purpose is to deceive others. And that's, that's what we are battling. That's some of the things that we've been facing. Uh, Paul, as he's instructing Timothy, and it seems like this is a theme for him in trying to, to help Timothy brace for what he knows is yet to come in Timothy's ministry. If these days were being described like this to Timothy, how much more are they applicable in the day that we live? where the world has continued to wax worse and worse. It has continued to get even worse than the time of Timothy. And if the challenges of Paul held true in Timothy's day, how much more should they hold true to us today? 
How much more should we look to these truths and say, if we're going to get through this, this is what's going to have to take place. We're going to have to deal with these things. I'm not going to go through the list. We preached on this passage about two months ago, I believe it was, two and a half months ago, in a different direction on it. And we dealt with a lot of the things that Paul listed here. In the earlier part of the chapter, he talks about a lot of the, uh, the fallacies of uh, people that, uh, even in, in what they perceive to be godly ministries, still follow after. And he gets through with the list. In verse number 5, he makes this statement, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And, and it's, it gives the idea, not only is the world waxing worse and worse, but sadly to say, uh, those that are in leadership of religious uh, meetings, those that are in, uh, quote-unquote, churches today, uh, are also waxing worse and worse. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. And uh, Paul's warning to Timothy is this, from such turn away. And so I want us to, to look at a few things that we can use. If the, the, the title of our message before is, What Are You Pursuing? What are you pursuing? And, and the challenge and charge to pursue the things of God and His righteousness first in our lives, to make that the priority. If we're going to do this, are there some practical things that Paul gives us in this book that will help us accomplish that, that will help us to pursue after those things? What are some of the... the, the, the the, the, the touchable, tangible things of our lives that we can apply the Bible to that will affect us pursuing the right things. And Paul does give us some things here, I believe, in this passage. Uh, we, we find that we're, first of all, in verse number 5, to turn away from them. That was part of the message we had preached before, that, that we're to avoid uh, some people. If we find out that they're living a certain way, we've got to be careful of our acquaintances. And we talked about that even, I believe, last week. Uh, but also I want you to notice in verse number 9, I want you to notice in verse number 9 that, that Paul gives the idea to Timothy that uh, he says, But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs was also. Mark it down that there's going to come a time where the world is going to see the folly of this. It's, it's going to be a while yet, and it may be uh, during the tribulation time, but they will eventually see the folly of their ways. They'll begin to understand it. Where I want to focus and get our practical helps from begins in verse number 10, if you'll take a moment to look there with me. And I'm going to give you a list of about six, uh, maybe seven different things here that I believe are very uh, very practical ways for us to know what to pursue. If we know that we're not supposed to follow after the world, if we're going to anchor and be steadfast, these are some, some defenses, these are some anchor points, if you will, that we, can, uh, that we can lash our souls to and keep from moving in these areas when the world waxes worse and worse. I'm going to begin in verse number 10. Paul says this, uh, after he says, you know, he, he criticizes uh, the perilous times and, and the direction that the world is going to be going. He says in verse number 10, but, uh, this is a contrasting, he's giving a contrasting point here. He says, but thou hast fully known, notice this, my what? Doctrine. You know, the best way, the best way that you and I can pursue the right thing is to get in this book and to know our doctrine. To know it. One of the biggest reasons why so many Christians are uh, blown about and swayed with uh, every wind of doctrine that comes out and every influence of false teachers is because we have a lot of Christians who, I believe, have an emotional love for God but are sadly lacking in being rooted in doctrine. 
And we, 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 we really, uh, it's easy for a preacher to get up and say, uh, boy, people need to be more rooted in doctrine. But the truth is, I put the fault of that in our pulpits of our churches. Because we have, we have tried to preach things that will fill the church house rather than take the church house that's there and teach them true doctrine. And there needs to be a revival of this. Uh, there needs to be a revival not only of preachers preaching it, there needs to be a revival of God's people hungering and thirsting for it. If we're going to, if we're going to be able to combat uh, the tendency, and, and all of us have it, the flesh nature tends to want to follow the world. It does. It just does. And it's always going to have a draw to us. I hope that the closer we get to the Lord, the less influence that flesh has, and that should be the case. But it is still going to continue to draw us. And one of the best ways, probably, I wouldn't even say probably, I would say authoritatively, the best way to combat that is to be grounded and know our doctrine according to Scripture. Uh, there are things, I've mentioned a couple of things in recent days. Uh, the, the Asbury Revival, the, the, this movie that's coming out here that I saw advertised the other day that I mentioned uh, that, that Christian people, people who ought to know better, are looking at it and saying, well, these are great, great things. And the truth is, it's because they're not grounded in enough doctrine to see that there are some fallacies to that. There are some shortfalls. There are some things that even are, are at enmity with Scripture in these areas. And it's because we lack a foundation in biblical doctrine. And so I, I've really, in the last probably four, five, six months of my life, I've really been burdened that we we rightly handle God's Word, that we know it well. I've been trying on Wednesday nights especially to, to bring to light some things that I think are often mistaught or misunderstood um, and try to deal with some doctrinal issues that people are not solid in uh, from Scripture to give us a strong foundation. Then when the, Then when the world does go that route, we shouldn't have to try to make a big discernment on it. We should know it because it doesn't line up with the doctrine of God's Word. And it should be easily seen that, yes, while that may be something that's better than what the world has been, it still is not considered righteous. It still is not my, my, my goal of living godly. And so Paul says this, Thou hast fully known my doctrine. And I think uh, that is at the top of his list. He said, listen, you're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to exhort you to follow some examples that I've left you. And the first one I want you to see is my example in knowing doctrine. He said, you've fully known it. And look at number 2 in verse number 10. He says, thou hast fully known my doctrine. And he says this, manner of life. We've also fully known his manner of life. And I would say this, that there is an importance to be placed. And when you know your doctrine the way you should, then your doctrine will dictate your manner of life. And your manner of life will come into line with Scripture. Uh, I think sometimes we get it backwards. We try to take Scripture and, uh, and put it into our life, when really the truth is we need to be established in Scripture and let it draw our life to it. And it will do that. If we know doctrine and, and, we're, and we're searching for that and we're hungering for that, it will cause our life to come into line with it. Our manner of life will be, a, will be uh, uh, adjusted by that. The, I, I've said it before, and I know when I say it, what I'm trying to say, and I know sometimes people hear it and they say, like, yeah, but that sounds like you're trying to excuse this. We shouldn't have to preach on standards from, from, the, from the pulpit. We do. We have to. But we shouldn't have to. 
We should know enough of our doctrine and know enough of what God's Word says that standards ought to just come to us. They ought to be right. But in the day we live, I, I know, and I, when I say that, I know some people cringe. They're like, Pastor, it just sounds like you don't want to preach on doctrine. It's not that I don't want to, or, or on standards. It's not that I don't want to. It's just we shouldn't have to do that. I know we do in the day we live. We do. But it's because we're not founded in our doctrine the way we should. We don't know this book well enough. And so Paul talks about this. He says, I have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. And then second, or thirdly, he says, you've known my purpose. Our motivation behind what we do must be a biblical motivation. You know, I know people that go to the right kind of church. They look for the right kind of church. They have the right kind of standards. They use the right Bible. And they do it because they're concerned what the people they're acquainted with and they associate with will think about them if they don't do it. Folks, that is not the right purpose. Our purpose for doing these things ought to be because I see it in Scripture and that's what God wants me to do. This will help us. If you're doing it because you're trying to get the, the affirmation and the, and the approval of those that are in the church... It's only slightly better than seeking for the affirmation and the influence of the world. It is no method at all to have as our motive. Our motive must be established on the fact that this is what the Bible says. And I'm going to do what I do, not because I'm worried about what somebody's going to think of me if I don't. I'm going to do it because I want to please God, and this is what His book tells me to do. This will help us. These are practical things that will help us to be steadfast when the world moves, and I'm not worried about their affirmation or their influence, when the church moves with them, and I'm not worried about their affirmation or their influence, and all I'm focused on is this Bible, it will cause me to stay steadfast. I won't follow the church that follows the world, neither will I follow the world. Very important that we have this thing of God's Word being the central point. We need to know our doctrine. It needs to affect our manner of life. It needs to be the purpose behind what we do. Then I want you to notice this, verse number 10. He says, Thou hast known my faith. Thou hast known my faith. You know how much easier it is to stand boldly in faith, believing with full conviction of heart in the truth that we're standing for when we know our doctrine? (laughs) If I don't have some substance behind what I claim to believe, I am destined to forsake what I believe. I've got to have an authority behind it. And it's got to be something beyond what I believe. It's got to be because there's an authority that is greater than I, that is proven infallible, inerrant, that I can grab a hold of and say, I know it to be true. And Paul says, you've known my faith. The boldness Paul had in preaching the truth of the gospel was the fact that he had faith in what he believed to be not just a message, but the message that God had given him. We saw in Galatians, as we were studying in Sunday school this morning, that Paul went so far as to tell the churches in Galatia that the gospel that he preached was not a gospel that he got from the apostles or from other men, but the gospel that God had revealed to him personally. This thing of faith needs to be something that we don't just hope on or, or put our wishful thinking on. It needs to be something that's grounded in the doctrine of God's Word. It's easy to put my faith 
in something I know to be true than to put it in something that I hope is true. We need to be grounded in our doctrine. That will, that will affect our manner of life. We need to be grounded in our biblical purpose. We need to be grounded in biblical faith. And then I want you to notice verse number 10. He also says, Thou hast fully known. And he gives a list of these things that, that we've fully known. He says, Thou hast fully known. And he says this, long-suffering. He says later on, all that, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. One of the things that will help us to not follow after the world and to not follow after the church that's following after the world will be to be persistent and steadfast in the face of persecution. In fact, he uses this two more times down the list as he calls them persecutions that he suffered and the afflictions that he suffered in Antioch. The same, the same mindset here. Long-suffering, steadfastness, the persecution, the afflictions that he went through, the persecution he went through. This is all relating back to our doctrine again. Because again, men can endure things that they believe to be true. But they don't always endure things that they hope might be true. I, I, we've used one of, the great, one of the great arguments for the legitimacy of our Scriptures that we hold in our hands is the fact that there were men and women, millions of them down through the years, that were willing to die for the truth of this book. They were convinced of it. The, 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 one of the best uh, arguments for the eyewitness account of the apostles is that every single one of them went to their death unrecanting of their eyewitness accounts of the things they witnessed in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is easier to be steadfast to not move, to not follow the world or the church that's influenced by the world if we are grounded enough in our doctrine to be long-suffering during the times of affliction and persecution. And you can mark it down if you take a stand for these things. It's going to come. If you do the things that we've talked and preached on here today, there's going to come some opposition. And it's not going to be pretty opposition. In fact, it's getting uglier and uglier as the days go by, it seems, in our lifetime. I'm thankful, you know, Hebrews 13 says, you've not yet resisted unto blood. I'm thankful we've not had to die a martyr's death yet. But folks, our, our, our day of taking a stand in face of persecution is, is either already here in at least its mildest form or very quickly on the heels of it. We've got to be grounded. When these times come, we need to be ready. We need to have already purposed in our hearts, this is where we stand. This book, this book is it. This is my life. When, when, when Jesus in His earthly ministry had spoken some hard words, and many of the followers that had been following Him left Him, He looked at His disciples and said, Will ye also go away? And their response is, where would we go? You know, thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? There's going to come a time, a crossroads of decision in your life and in my life, where we've got to say, where else can we go? This is the only truth there is. We must remain true to it. In spite of all the, the afflictions, in spite of all the persecutions that come. Now I want you to notice also verse number 10. He says, thou hast fully known my charity. You know how, how difficult it is to get bitter in the face of persecution? One of the things that I love about knowing God's Word and hearing His truth is how often He speaks about the fact that we're to love our enemies. We're to love those that are lost and in the world, and even those that are doing wickedly while we hate their sin, we still have a love for their soul. 
And it is, and you've seen people like this, and I know I have even in ministry, where if we're not careful, we will get to a place where we become bitter and angry at the people rather than directing it at their sin. And we'll become a very hateful, very distanced people who cannot have any influence of reaching people with the, with the message of the gospel. Paul said, you've fully known my charity. Paul, Paul went to some of the, the, the worst places. I mean, he, he went to Corinth place of unbelievable corruption. But he didn't get bitter in it. He came there to help those folks. He came there to reach them with the gospel. Now, he didn't put up with their sin. He was steadfast, but he had a compassion for them. He loved them. And then I want you to notice patience. He had a perseverance in patience. Paul, Paul knew what it was to labor and see little fruit sometimes. Paul knew what it was to go through trials and perils and to wonder, I'm sure, in his mind, is what I'm doing really worth all of this? Yes. Yes, it is. When we know our doctrine, we know that when we know the, the eternal weight of these matters when it comes to the souls of men, it will help us to have patience to keep on keeping on. In the face of persecution, in the face of affliction, no matter, no matter how wicked and depraved the world gets. Uh, any of you ever get to the place where you think, boy, just, or, or you ever had the thought or heard somebody had the thought, the world's so bad, why even try? You ever felt that way or, or noticed somebody feel that way? Can't be that way. I remember a number of years ago, I, I shared this illustration a year or two ago in this church, a number of years ago, when, when my brother and sister came along, my mom and dad had, had my, my older sister and I together two years apart, and then they waited nine years before they had a second family. And so I had a younger brother and sister. They're nine and 11 years younger than me. And uh, when they were babies, of course, they were the spoiled ones, you know. Uh, we always say that anyway, they were the spoiled ones. But when they were young, my dad wanted to build a, a tree house for them out in the backyard for Christmas. And he got this brilliant idea, brilliant idea that he was going to build a platform about four, about three feet maybe in the trees, maybe three and a half feet. And then he was going to build this, this uh, large house, probably six-foot square, eight-foot square plywood you know, tree house at the church. He was going to hide it in the gym and keep it away from them. And then on Christmas Eve, he was going to load it on a trailer. We were going to put it back there and then lift it up and slide it onto this platform that he had already mounted onto the trees. And I was, uh, I think I was probably about 18 at the time. I was, I was at the pinnacle of my strength, you know, as a teenager, or thought I was. And uh, I remember the night Dad brought it over and he said, Greg, let's go put this treehouse up. And the kids were already in bed and my mom was out there. And uh, we backed it up with the trailer and it was, it, the trailer was only about 18 inches. This thing was about 30 some inches off the ground. And uh, he had put some, some handhelds on each side of it and each of us were supposed to grab it. And we had to get it to a point where we couldn't just hold it down here at arm's length. We had to bring it up to our hip and kind of turn our arms on it and get it up in the high enough. And we were going to tip the one end up first, and then we are going to tip the other end up. And I'll never forget, I, he said, I think we can do it, just the two of us. And I said, Dad, I don't know, that's an awful heavy treehouse. And so we're going, and I, I mean, I'm with every fiber of my being straining and struggling. And we get it up, and we're starting to get it right to the edge of that platform. And I start losing my grip. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm losing my grip. He said, don't let go of it, boy. Famous last words, as if I had a choice. 
I said, Dad, I'm losing my grip. And he said, don't let go of it. We're almost there. Don't let go of it. Dad, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. And, it, and I lost my grip. And here's what I did. 18-year-old boy, self-preservation. I got my life in front of me. I let go and I stepped back. My dad, who had put all the toil and sweat and tears in this thing, when, he, when I let go and he felt that thing lurch, his instinct was to shoulder up underneath it and to bear it. And he held it up there, but it hurt him. I'll never forget that. I thought, man, what a great example in the Christian life of what we need to be doing when it seems like, why even try? It's no time to let go and back off. It's time to grip it tighter and put the shoulder under it and push it up. We're living in a world, folks, that if we don't start doing that, we're not going to have much of a world left. And I see a lot of Christians doing what a little 18-year-old teenager did. Letting go and saying, I can't. Somewhere along the line, somebody's got to say, I'm going to bear it. It may hurt. It may, it may cost me. But I'm going to bear it. If you will, look down verse number 14 with me. He says in verse 13, The evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're just going to keep on. But I want you to notice this charge to Timothy. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Continue. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. This world is worth working for. It's worth laboring for. You say, how do you know that? Because my Savior died for it. Surely, I can be steadfast. Surely, I can shoulder whatever the load is going to be. If He could do what He did at Calvary, surely I can do my part. Some practical things to help us remain steadfast. Not to move or be swayed with what the world is doing nor to be moved or swayed by a church that is following after the world. Let's hold fast to the Bible. Let's be firm. Let's be resolved. And let's know our doctrine. Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, we've done our very best today. I pray that You would take what has been a, a weak attempt at best to do justice to Your Word and that You